Well, friends, good morning to St. Matthew's. It's great to see you all here on this uh, beautiful, sunny autumn day. Uh, just a reminder as we get underway as to what, what we're doing as we come together. I'm reading from Colossians chapter 3. This is the ideal that drives what we do as we gather together, where it says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's what we're about this morning. So let's stand and sing our first hymn together. Stay 
it's standing. <laughs> I will lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word spoken to us and inspired by your spirit. We pray that today your word would dwell richly amongst us, all to your praise and honour and for our benefit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, well, welcome again. It's really good to see you here this morning uh, on a beautiful summer, uh, on a beautiful sunny autumn morning. Uh, wild seas all around us, but it's great to be together here as God's people. And uh, welcome to you, that, uh, to those of you who are online with us. Uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, my name's Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here. Really good to have you with us. Well, today is a service of the Lord's Supper. And right in the middle of this service, we're listening to God's word and Scott will be preaching for us. And today we reach a new high point in the Gospel of Mark, in that account of the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus uh, through Mark. Uh, because in uh, Mark chapter 8, that, at the halfway point of, of Mark's Gospel, there's a breakthrough for the disciples. They actually begin to see for the first time who Jesus is. There's more to learn. But it's a major breakthrough. And, and as we see them coming to clarity about who Jesus is, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity at, at the end of the sermon, if you've, if you've never turned to Christ, if you've never made that commitment to follow him, we're going to give you that opportunity this morning. And for you also, if you're at a stage where you're coming back to Jesus and you'd like to recommit your life to following him, there'll be that opportunity as well. So that's something to look forward to later in our service. And a question you might like to ask yourself is, what's stopping me committing myself to Jesus? If you understand him clearly, he really is worth following. Uh, we'll also be sharing together, as I said, in the Lord's Supper, for, particularly for those of you at home. Uh, it'd be great to have some bread and a cup with something to drink as we uh, share together in the Lord's Supper uh, later in our service. Right now, we've got the chance to affirm together what it is that we believe about God's greatness and his love for us in the words of the Apostles' Creed. So please join me as I lead us. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'm going to catch you up on a bit of news from around St. Matthew's, but Scott, I'm wondering whether you could help me by finding me the postcard and the little QR code. It might be, it'll be there somewhere. <laughs> anyway, I do want to say welcome again to you if you're new or visiting with us. And Scott's found that one for me. What about our Easter? Easter card. <laughs> Just in a minute. <laughs> uh, thanks, mate. <laughs> I meant to show you last week our, our new little um, postcards, uh, business cards that you'll find in the seats in front of you. So you do you want to take, a, take that up? 
We've been um, getting used to, as a whole community, using QR codes as a really great way of communicating. Uh, you can now use that QR code to communicate with us at St Matthews. If you, um, if you leave a message via the QR code there, that'll, that'll get to me in the next few hours. Um, I'll certainly get to it in the morning when I get to the office. Um, for you, if you're new, that's a way of letting us know that you've been here and, and we'd love to know that you've been here. Or if there's something you, that you need to share with us, um, if there's some help that you need, that's a really good way of communicating with us. So that's welcome to you if you're new. By the way, we, we enjoy having morning tea together straight after the service, so we'd love you to join us if you're able and you don't have to rush off afterwards. Look, over the next few weeks, Easter's coming up uh, shortly, but before we get to Easter, next Sunday, we've got a special Passion Tide service, that's what we're calling it, uh, which will feature um, a, a really carefully put together program of singing that we do together, uh, songs that we listen to, and Bible readings. A uh, really great way of preparing yourself for Easter, also the sort of thing that would be great to bring a friend uh, or, or family member along to who'd appreciate that kind of thing. Uh, later in the day, uh, it's quite a day for music at St Matthew's next Sunday, we've got uh, a celebration Sunday for our 10, 5 and 6.30 services. And many of you will be familiar with the AfroFest team. Uh, they'll be with us leading uh, worship on that day. And uh, Deb and Suzanne, our women's ministers, will be uh, giving the message that day, drawing together some of the things that we've been learning from Mark's Gospel. As I mentioned last week, next week would be the sort of week where it would be good to come twice and certainly to bring someone with you to one or both of um, those kinds of services. Uh, at Easter, and you'll be able to get one of these uh, cards from the back, uh, on Good Friday, we've got two services in the morning, 8 and 10. The 8 o'clock service will be uh, a Lord's Supper, the later service will be a family service. And then on Sunday, Easter Sunday, there'll be four services at the normal times. Uh, Easter really is the high point of our gatherings together here at St Matthew's. A uh, really great time for believers and those who are members of the church, but also a really good time to be inviting friends and family uh, so that they can hear what it is that, that, that makes such a difference, knowing Jesus and knowing about his death and his resurrection. So they're great things to look forward to over the next few weeks. Ah, the other thing is, we'd love people in Manly to know that the services are on and when they're on. Uh, so we've got packs of these up the back, ready to be delivered. It's the sort of thing you could grab a pack and sometime over the next week or so, uh, make sure that, that um, we've delivered one to each of the mailboxes around Manly. Just follow the um, instructions with the pack. I think that's everything, and thanks to Scott for your help, mate, in getting through that. <laughs> Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by your Son and through your Holy Spirit, we can come before you in confidence, knowing you as our Father, who's ready and able to answer our prayers. And we do want to lift up before you, Father, even on a day where it's sunny here, those around our country in communities that have been again, are again suffering due to the heavy rain and flooding. Uh, we, we ask that you'd be with them in their weariness, in their anguish for some and even despair. Please comfort them in this dark time. It seems such a cruel blow in what had been a recovery period where progress was being made. 
Uh, may practical and meaningful aid be swift and abundant. And we pray that you strengthen those who once more face loss and continued days and weeks of cleanup and months of rebuilding. May your message of hope and love be ministered to many in those areas as they live through this difficulty. Now, closer to home, Father, we, we thank you for our mission partners, especially today for the Salvation Army here in Manly. We thank you for our partnership with them in their work of bringing relief to people who are doing it tough. And we pray they'll deal generously and wisely with many calls from those who are seeking help with basic food and financial needs. We also thank you that they, like us, have been able to return to Sunday services this year and ask that they'll soon be able to welcome people back to Bible study groups. Within our own church family, Father, today we pray for those who are struggling to stay well and feel connected with others. Lord, we know that you are a God of mercy and healing, so we pray that you'd bring peace into their hearts and into the minds of those who are in distress. And I'm going to offer you now a chance to pray silently for those you know who are living with difficulty. Lord God, we lay these troubles before you, thanking you for the knowledge that you will never leave or forsake us. May we be people who find great rest in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing again. This is our offertory hymn, so please stand and join our, our, our musos up the front singing, Take Up Your Cross, the Saviour said. Refuse 
morning. I'm reading from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 38, and it's to be found on page 1011 in the Church Bibles. So they came to Bethesda, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Did you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do the people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Here ends the reading. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, hi to you guys at home. Uh, my name's Scott, if I haven't met you. Have your Bibles open at Mark chapter 8 uh, that Peggy just read from. That would be super helpful to me. I'm sure a blessing to you. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get underway. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you for your scriptures, as we've just sung about. We pray that um, you'd help us to give ourselves fully to them now, in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had to get glasses recently uh, they look like this first time in my life what do you think make me look smarter or just older uh, <laughs> older older <laughs> seeing things uh, from a distance or at a distance was no problem for me but up close especially first thing in the morning and last thing at night it was all getting a bit blurry I try to read the nutritional information on the cereal box first thing in the morning. I, I, I had no idea what it said. So I got glasses and it makes reading first and last thing a bit easier. Now I, I look at the nutritional information on the cereal box and it reads, 
don't worry about the calories, fat, so it really is your eyes that are the problem. <laughs> Thing is, uh, when I went to get my glasses, the optometrist said, well, you really should go to the doctor as well because often people who need to get glasses also have problems with cholesterol. So I went to get tested for that, and it turns out I've got high cholesterol as well. <laughs> so now I think maybe I shouldn't have worried about the glasses in the first place. But <clears throat> it's very important to see clearly, isn't it? If you can't see clearly, you have to accept a whole lot of uh, Im limitations in life. For example, where you can go, how you can get there, what you can enjoy. Without seeing clearly, you miss out on opportunities, but you also miss out on warnings. So it's no small thing to see clearly and something not to be taken for granted. And we're going to see that today as we wrap up our series in Mark's Gospel at the midway point, really the turning point of the Gospel, as Andrew has shared, as Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. All term, we've been trekking our way through Mark chapters 4 to 8 and seen Mark's vivid depiction of Jesus, whether that's been in his intriguing teaching uh, via parables, where he has implored us to consider carefully what we hear from Jesus, or perhaps through Mark's dynamic presentation of Jesus as the authoritative Son of God, who demonstrates his authority over natural elements like the wind and the waves, uh, over demons, over disease, and even death, raising a little girl from the dead with the mere instruction, get up. We've anticipated Jesus' rejection by Jewish authorities by reading of his rejection uh, in his own hometown, and of course, the execution of John the Baptist, who paved the way for Jesus in so many ways. We've also seen Jesus presented as the compassionate shepherd king who feeds 5,000 of his fellow Israelites. And then who surprisingly extends that grace and favor to those outside of Israel, who were also typically thought of being outside of God's plans. A Syrophoenician woman, a deaf and a mute man, 4,000 in a remote region east of the promised land. Could that offer hope to us who are in even more remote regions? Now I say that we've seen all that. Of course, we're not alone. The disciples, the crowds, the Jewish religious figures have also been eyewitnesses. And the question for us all as we round out this series at our halfway point in Mark's gospel is, do we see Jesus clearly? Now I think that's what the first healing miracle in verses 22 to 26 is all about. Because you've got to admit, it comes across as pretty odd. For the only time we can think of, Jesus' power seems diluted. His battery is drained. It's unusual. You remember in chapter 5, the woman who was subject to bleeding, she merely touched his cloak and she was healed. At the end of chapter 6, wherever he went, villages, towns, marketplaces, the countryside, people would just touch his clothes and they would be healed. Lots of people. But on this occasion... Jesus is way more personally involved. Have a look at verse 23. Jesus led this man by the hand outside the village, spat on his eyes. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? And then put his hands on him. You see, he's much more personally involved. And yet when Jesus asks him if he can see, well, he can, but it's vaguely, it's opaquely. He can't read the nutritional information on the box. People look like trees walking around. Only after Jesus has a second crack are the man's eyes opened, is his sight restored. In verse 25, does he see everything clearly? Now, I'm sure that this healing happened as recorded by Mark because there are detailed eyewitness flourishes. 
But I think Mark has recorded it for us because he sees within this kind of two-stage healing a bit of a parable for the disciples, a parable for their frustratingly slow-forming vision of Jesus. I mean, the disciples have great moments, don't they? Like in chapter 6, where on Jesus' behalf they preach repentance and heals many and cast out demons. And after all is said and done, they are the ones who have gone all in with Jesus But for people with ringside seats, they don't appear to be quick on the uptake. You remember when he calms the storm, he says to them, still no faith? When he walks on the water, he says to them, are you still terrified? When he cracks the Pharisees for being obsessed with human traditions and being caught up in hypocrisy, Jesus says to the disciples, are you still so dull? And after Jesus has fed 5,000 with just a few loaves and has 12 baskets of leftovers and then fed 4,000 with just a few loaves and have seven baskets of leftovers, the disciples are getting stressed about not having enough bread. And he says to him, just in the verse before our reading started, do you still not understand? Like catering is not a problem for me. Oh my goodness. And so this two-stage miracle where a man goes from blindness to partial sight to seeing everything clearly sets us up for the disciples in the next section. Of course, it, it also asks the same of each of us, do we see Jesus clearly? I mean, really clearly? Or have we got it a bit fuzzy ourselves? Well, we'd better listen carefully to what follows to make sure. We've seen through the first half of Mark that the the question which dominates that whole first half is the question, who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this man? Isn't he the carpenter, Mary's son? Who is this man was the question in chapter 6 after Jesus' name had become so well known that even King Herod heard about him. And the answers given then were, he's one of the prophets we think. Or maybe he is Elijah returned from heaven. Or uh, we think he's John the Baptist returned from the dead. Well, they seem to be the three best guesses in contention at that time. Because when Jesus raises this question amongst his own disciples in chapter 8, verse 27, you can see it there in front of you. Who do people say I am? The disciples give him these three very same options there in verse 28. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. uh, And still others one of the prophets but it's as if that question which has been asked for eight chapters suddenly switches from being an armchair theological discussion you know a fireside kind of chat to an uncomfortable well an uncomfortably personal dialogue between God and us as Jesus follows up with the personal question yeah yeah fine fine but in verse 29 but what about you who do you say I am And Peter pipes up, you know, wonderful, beautiful, flawed, (laughs) well-intentioned, but so often clumsy, Peter. You are the Messiah or the Christ. And if you'd have been watching a, a musical or an opera, the orchestra would have been rising, the timpani drums would have been building to a crescendo and then to a point of complete silence in which you could hear a pin drop and which which lasted uncomfortably long to heighten the suspense of this moment. 
You are the Messiah. It was uncomfortably long, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. He's got it. And Jesus warning them not to tell anyone about him may not seem like at first glance that he's nailed it, but he has all the hopes of Israel for a long-awaited, God-appointed, God-anointed king to relieve them from their oppressors are being fulfilled right now in the person of Jesus. And Peter, wonderful, beautiful, flawed, well-intentioned, clumsy Peter is perhaps the first person to see it clearly. Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ, the hope of the ages. Now standing before him in flesh and blood, I mean, wow. And if you were watching a musical or an opera, every instrument would explode in joyful cacophony. What a moment. What a moment. But it's not over. Because Jesus then starts to answer the question that will preoccupy the second half of Mark's gospel. And that is the question, what did the Messiah come to do? Who is this man, the Messiah? Well, what did the Messiah come to do? Well, let's read Jesus' take of that for verse 31. Let's read it together. He, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Suffer many things. Be rejected by Jewish officials, be killed, and only then rise again. Plain as day, no murky parables, and Peter doesn't like it one bit. And it sounds like Jesus' response to Peter is really meant to be distributed among the disciples there in verse 33. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Kids say the darndest things, don't they? <laughs> I'm sure you've experienced that. I remember a time we were driving to the Blue Mountains on holidays when our three boys strapped in car seats in the back row were all pretty young. And just as we got to the bottom of the mountains, you know where it turns left and up just after Penrith, one of the boys said, I love you, mummy, but I don't really love you, daddy. Good to be clear, I guess. And my wife, Carolyn, turned around. She said, Dib, you don't mean that. You love daddy. And he was grinning kind of widely as he shook his head. So it was a bit of a joke. But he said, no, I, I don't really love Daddy. And Carolyn tried again. She said, you don't mean that. And he replied a third time, I don't love you, Daddy. So I stopped the car. I got him out. Uh, I got like down low to his level because it's important when you're communicating to kids to do that. And I said, well, if you don't really love me, you can walk up to the mountain by yourself. <laughs> and I got in the car and I drove off. Where's your mummy now? That's not true. I'm not a monster. I would never make him walk up a mountain by himself. I kicked his two brothers out as well. <laughs> no, not true. But he did say those things. I mean, darndest things, aren't they? When my sister was three or four, she was um, naughty and uh, she was rude to my mum. She wrote a card to apologise and, and my mum kept it. And she wrote, I'm so sorry, mum, for being so rude. It must have been the devil in me. <laughs> Must have been the devil in me. What a funny thing for a four-year-old to say. Now, um, 
she didn't mean that she was demon-possessed. She just meant in a kind of four-year-old way that she gave voice to her sinful human itches and inclinations. And I think something very similar is going on here when Jesus rebukes Peter, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) I mean, wow, for starters, what a mood killer. You talk about going from the mountaintop to ground level with a flat thud in 0.7 seconds. Peter's so delighted that Jesus is the Messiah because along with all Israel, Peter expected the Messiah to liberate Israel from their Roman oppressors, restoring them to a flourishing promised land for good. So of course, Israel needed a king with God's approval. That was absolutely key to victory. There's no room for weakness, suffering, defeat. It would be glorious and triumphant. And so of course, Peter balked when Jesus started talking about rejection and death and suffering many things. It was not part of the program as far as he could tell And so when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, he's not accusing Peter of being satanic or demon-possessed or of blasphemy or even of obvious evil. He is saying, you want the kingdom without the cross, which Satan had already offered Jesus during the temptation in the wilderness. You want political triumph. But Jesus has something far greater in mind, liberation from our oldest enemies of sin and death. The desire for national military victory over the enemies of the day is not obviously evil. It makes sense, but it's counter to the plans of God. It's smooth. It is attractive thought. It's naturally appealing to human instincts. So get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. It must have been the devil in you. (laughs) For suffering, rejection, and death and only then resurrection well they have the fingerprints of god all over them that is his plan can you see that clearly because peter didn't and unless you do you can't see jesus clearly either and in fact neither can you see christian discipleship clearly which is our last thing to consider today. So our passage works by first having this sort of two-stage miracle, which is in some ways a parable for Peter's experience. You know, he sees Jesus for who he is, but he doesn't see everything clearly. He understands that Jesus is the Messiah, but he cannot comprehend that being the Messiah might involve suffering, rejection, and even death. But it finishes today with Jesus disclosing to us what it means to be one of his disciples. And he instructs us how to see discipleship clearly. And I want to zoom in on verse 34, and um, it's really important to see this verse. And so much so I've got it up here. Well, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Well, friends, that is the quintessential description of a disciple of Jesus. Disciple means student, but it also means follower. And if you want to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him in his footsteps, so to speak. By deny yourself, he doesn't mean give up something like chocolate or booze or cigarettes for Lent. He he means you put to one side your agenda for life in which you do what you want to do in the way that you do it. The way you want to do it, I should say. The spirit of our age says, you know, it's the highest goal of humanity. What it means to be human is an individual one. So you've got to find out who you are And then you have to express it and live it out. And the great evil in our age is to say to someone, no, please don't do that. 
And yet Jesus says, no, please don't do that. Instead of doing what you want to do, how you want to do it, Jesus implores any follower of his to live the life Jesus wants you to live in the way Jesus wants you to live it. So countercultural. He puts another spin on it by saying, you must take up your cross. And, and by that, he's appropriating the metaphor of his own upcoming execution on a Roman cross, in which part of the humiliation was you would carry the cross, the instrument of your torture, to the place of your death. Right? You would have seen pictures of Jesus carrying his cross to the place of execution. And uh, notice, he doesn't say that some of you will be required to do that. Look carefully. He says, anyone who wants to be my disciple must do that which means he doesn't require literal martyrdom, although many have literally been killed because of their allegiance to Jesus and the gospel. Nor is he asking us to be monks where we just separate ourselves from the world and lived in in splendid and holy isolation. (laughs) It's actually much harder than that. He is saying you put to death a self-focused life, live for the benefit of yourself and perhaps your little clan, your little family, your little tribe, and instead you live for Jesus and you live in his ways, and you're focused on the advancement of his name and his kingdom and his gospel in all the days of your little life, because my goodness, they all count. And it may not change what you do, right? You, you might end up, um, you know, being a teacher, a computer programmer, a personal carer. might not change what you do in, in the days of your week, but it definitely changes how you do it. And it certainly changes your motive for doing them. It has to change the how and the why, even if the what stays the same. And then lastly says Jesus, follow me, which means both mimic me, do as I have done, but it also means walk in the same path, that is the path of rejection and suffering before resurrection and glory. You know, friends, the reason why we don't do whatever it takes to get ahead in our career but pursue honesty and kindness to colleagues even though it might cost us and the reason that we don't cheat on our taxes but pay our share for the welfare of society and the reason why we pursue sexual faithfulness rather than promiscuity and the reason why we give generously to many causes rather than hoard wealth for ourselves and the reason why we put our personal and perhaps professional reputations on the line by confessing our allegiance to Christ in the workplace and among our family and friends rather than keeping that secret And the reason we vote thoughtfully, recycle carefully, use resources sparingly, the reason we pursue a life of simplicity rather than accumulate possessions and experiences, the reason why we uh, raise our children and perhaps encourage our grandchildren to love and fear the Lord, the reason we gather for worship on a Sunday morning, even when it's the first sunny Sunday morning in eight weeks, the reason we memorize scripture, pray fervently on all occasions, the reason why we don't give ourselves to drunkenness, middle-class drunkenness, the reason why we respect our husbands or our wives deeply and love our friends deeply is not simply because we're a bang-up person. It's because we follow him, we deny ourselves, and we have taken up our cross. And if it feels hard at time, at times, I think that's good. It seems to me that it's meant to. But in his great kindness, Jesus not only lays down the law, deny yourself, take up the cross. It's nice I'm making Andrew do 
he made me to. <laughs> In his great kindness, Jesus not only lays down the law, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. He also gives us good reasons to do just that. And number one, <laughs> unless you live for him, you're going to lose your life anyway. Do you notice that verse 35? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You know, you're going to lose your life either way. So lose it in the way that means you ultimately save it for eternity. Lose it well by living for Jesus in this life. Number two, it's a good deal. Verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Following Jesus, though it involves self-denial, means you gain more than the whole world. The preservation of your soul is unexchangeable. Nothing is worth trading for. It's certainly not the basic pleasures of this mortal coil. When uh, my son was younger, this is the one who said he didn't love me. Uh, his favourite cartoon character was a guy called Ben 10, looks like that. Ben 10 had this watch called an Omnitrix that looked like that. You can see it on his wrist. And it allowed him to transform into 10 different alien forms, each with unique superpowers. And so we bought my son a replica Omnitrix that cost $35. One day he came home from school and he tells us that he's traded his Omnitrix for this crappy, tiny, plastic toy periscopes that one of his mates got out of a Christmas cracker. I explained to him he did not get a good deal from this exchange. Now, when we think, we can think that denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following Jesus is a bad trade. We think we give up our gold and we get what? Something cheap and unreliable in return. You know, friends, we will inherit the universe. A few short days of our lives lived for him which, by the way, are also lived with him, no small thing. Well, that is no bad trade. So do not forfeit your soul forever for a few minutes of self-absorbed pleasure and comfort. The third reason Jesus gives about is about what happens at the end of time. Verse 38, read it with me. He says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and adulterous generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory. And he's saying that if you think that Jesus and his words are shameful, to the extent that they're not worth denying yourself for, they're not worth spending this life to support and advance, he'll be ashamed of you upon his return. See, verse 38 is not talking about getting a bit embarrassed, you know, sort of going red when you're sharing the gospel. It's saying if you really don't want to live for him now, he's not going to want to live with you in eternity. So that sounds stark, but I for one appreciate the honesty. Friends, with my glasses, I can now see things clearly, or at least more clearly than before, especially first and last thing. With Mark chapter 8, the midpoint and the turning point of Mark's gospel, we have an opportunity to see everything more clearly. Who, who is Jesus, the Messiah? What he came to do, to suffer and die before rising again as we celebrate at Easter time, but also what it means to follow him, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him for all the reasons we've discussed. 
having had the benefit of today, indeed having had the benefit of our term in Mark's Gospel, do you see everything clearly? Well, maybe you have for the first time today, in which case, as Andrew said, we've got a chance for you to place your trust and commit your life to Jesus today. And a common way that people do that down the centuries is to pray a prayer in which you admit that you've lived your life for yourself, in which you, you confess, you believe that Jesus is the Messiah who conquers our enemies of sin and death via his own death and resurrection, and in which you commit your life to following him, as we've just discussed Really, it's kind of an ABC prayer. Admit, believe, commit. And uh, here's one that I prepared earlier. There we go. And I'm going to read it out now. That'll just give you a chance to evaluate it and see if that mimics the thoughts of your heart. And in a few moments, moments, I'm going to invite us all to close our eyes, bow our heads in prayer. And if you want to commit your life to Jesus today, you can simply repeat the words silently in your own heart and mind And if you think, you know, today is a good time for me to recommit my life to him, you know, that you've really walked away for a long time and you want to get back on track, well, you can pray this prayer too. Well, let me read it out and then we'll we'll pray it together. Uh, Dear God, I admit that I have lived life for myself, doing what I want, how I want, and I'm sorry for that. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah who forgives sin and conquers death through his own death and resurrection. And I commit my life and future to Jesus, denying myself and following him. Amen. Well, that's the prayer. Why don't we all uh, close our eyes or bow our heads? In fact, if you want to keep your eyes open to see the prayer, that's okay as well. And I'll pray it in just a few moments' time. And you can pray it along silently in your own heart and mind. Well, let's pray. Dear God, I admit that I have lived life for myself, doing what I want, how I want. And I'm sorry for that. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Who forgives sin and conquers death through his own death and resurrection. And I commit my life and future to Jesus, denying myself and following him. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, if you um, prayed that prayer for the first time or first time in a long time, I think it would be a very good thing to do to let someone know. That might be the Christian friend or person who's sitting right next to you. Um, You could let us know by using the QR code on that little card that Andrew was talking about earlier. Uh, And um, you might like to at the end of the service or maybe even in the next hymn that we're about to sing, just get that out, um, open up the QR code and let us know via the Connect card. That would be a good thing to do. Uh, Right now I'm going to hand over to our musicians who are going to lead us in our next hymn. Thank you.
And just while I'm getting ready, you might like to get your little communion pack uh, ready. Take the two top layers off. If you don't have a communion pack, uh, we'll get one to you. Uh, Julia needs one down here. Thanks, Larry. Great. Uh, sharing together in the Lord's Supper is really another expression of seeing clearly uh, what Jesus came to do. Uh, the bread and the, the cup uh, take us back to the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And as we take the bread and, and we drink from the cup in a few minutes, uh, we're in a very concrete way engaging with not only that, that historical moment, but the significance of that moment. So as we get ready to share together in this uh, simple ceremonial meal, let's, let's come before the Lord in prayer, confessing our sins, uh, recognising that the weight Jesus carried on the cross uh, came about because of our sin. Please join me in this prayer of confession. Merciful Father, We've strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We've followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done and we've done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Saviour, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Even as we're conscious of ways in which we have fallen short of God's call for us to follow Jesus, as we pray in confession of our sins, we can be reassured of God's goodness towards us. Listen to what Paul says at the beginning of Romans 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, you have been set free from the law of sin and of death. So friends, listen to what the scriptures say about what took place as Jesus shared that last meal with his disciples. It says, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and then gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then in, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you, 
This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It's so helpful that Jesus explained what was going to happen in a way that would lead to the disciples seeing things clearly. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of thanks for for what he's done for us before we share together. We thank you, our Father, that in your love and mercy, you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to die on the cross for our salvation. By this offering of himself, once and for all time, Jesus made a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world and commanded us to continue a remembrance of his precious death until his coming again. Hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who receive these gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to our Saviour's command, in remembrance of his suffering and death, may be partakers of his body and blood. So, brothers and sisters, let's take this bread and eat it in remembrance that Christ died for us and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And let's drink from these cups, remembering that Christ's blood was shed for us, and be thankful. Let's join now together in this prayer of thanksgiving and of dedication, in which we ask God to to help us offer ourselves as a living sacrifice through Christ to follow him. Lord and Heavenly Father, in your loving kindness, accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Grant that by the merits and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may receive forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. With gratitude for all your mercies, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Amen. We will close the service, uh, the formal part of the service uh, shortly. But um, firstly, just uh, let me remind you again, out of Scott's uh, sermon, if... um, If you prayed with him to commit your life to following Jesus, if you prayed with him to commit, to recommit yourself to following Jesus, it would be really good to let somebody know about that. Uh, It may be someone that's here with you this morning, or there may be someone you have in mind, or it may be that it'd be good for you to speak to myself or to Scott or or to Deb at the back there, Uh, or, or you could do that either in person this morning or via the QR code on the little... Uh, business cards but um, we do praise God that he's moved you in the way that he has and uh, we pray with you that um, that commitment will be one that he enables you uh, to keep up uh, so that you might benefit from all that Christ has done for us 
Would you be uh, upstanding, please, as I um, have we got anything else on the next screen? No, we don't. Yes, we do. Uh, let me read this for Actually, we can say this together, can't we? May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the... Not... Amen. Amen. Amen indeed.